0: The No Sleep Podcast presents the exclusive 10-part audio adaptation of Alexander Gordon Smith's epic tale, This Book Will Kill You. This Book Will Kill You is the story of Tommy Bright, a young woman who dreamt about a witch, a room, and a table full of meat. This is her story. This is about what happens when the witch comes back to finish what she started. But be warned, because this book just might kill you. The Fifth Part
1: Flint's waiting for me outside shivering in a short-sleeved shirt and apron, cigarette in her hand. She nods at me, taking another drag, then grinding the butt beneath her boot heel. Her arms open, and I mold myself into her, into the ashtray scent of her. But when her arms close over me, they don't hold fast, loosening after a heartbeat. She's still angry.
2: Come on inside.
1: She looks at her watch.
2: Shift starts in 15, but... I'll get you a coffee. You look like you need one. You look like
1: shit. Sorry. She manages a smile, shaking her head. (laughs) Only you. She holds the door open for me. The restaurant's practically empty. The breakfast crowd gone. The lunch crowd not here yet. There's a couple of waitstaff at the bar, and I feel my skin ripple as I think about Outcast. I have to gulp down a couple of airless breaths. I have to screw my eyes shut to stop the panic. I'm not underground. The day is right there outside the window. There are people here. And Flint. She slides her arm through mine and pulls me to the back. I only open my eyes when I hear her drag out a chair.
2: Sit down before you fall down. Hey Rowan, two coffees, Okay.
1: The guy at the bar shouts something back, lost beneath the scrape of Flint's chair as she pulls it next to mine. She spins it around and straddles it, keeping the back between us like a shield. What's going on? Last night?
2: She shakes her head again, then lifts a hand. Look, forget it. You really think you were spiked? You should see a doctor, Tommy. Some of the stuff around these days can stay in your system for, like, weeks. Makes you lose your mind. You think that's it?
1: I run my hand across the table, feeling crumbs collect between my fingers. Maybe that's it. Everything's been so... so wrong. And I'm so desperate for an explanation that I'm almost praying that somebody slipped me a roofie. I don't even care what happened to me, to my body, because I need to save my mind before it runs through my fingers like sand, scatters in the wind but now it's me shaking my head. Because the truth is, all this started before last night. It started
2: yesterday morning. Maybe it's just that, mixed with what happened to that girl. You were pretty rattled anyway, anxious about it, the way you get. Then somebody gives you some chem or other, and wham, your brain explodes. What's been happening anyway? Why are you so freaked? It's hard to explain. Like, ever since the cops
1: showed up yesterday, ever since they asked me about Kara... Things have been weird. Weird how? Mom keeps having... I chew the end of my thumbnail, realizing how ridiculous this is going to sound. Like, she keeps having baths. And she's losing her hair. And I'm getting mixed up
2: hearing people and seeing things when there's nothing there. Dreaming and stuff. Right. You're tired, stressed, and you're you, Tommy. Let's not forget that. Dreaming and stuff is who you are, awake or asleep. More importantly, what happened to you today? I felt the... She slaps her hand to her chest. I've never felt anything like it. Like there was danger. I felt like I downloaded it down the phone.
1: The guy from the bar is here, putting down two steaming mugs of coffee. He smiles at me.
3: Enjoy. You want something to eat?
1: I shake my head and Flint waves him away. What happened? She cups her hands around the mug, shivering. Where were you? At a
2: bar. <laughs> <laughs> you? At a bar? By yourself? That's why it felt so weird.
1: No, not drinking. I was trying to find Kara's boyfriend, Tanner. He works at a place called Outcast. Worked. It's going under. It was in the basement, and... Uh, so I spoke to the woman behind the bar, and she said he wasn't there. No, uh, that he was there but that nobody could find him. Was that what she told me? The whole thing feels like a half-forgotten childhood dream. she tried to grab me. Seeing that wooden arm sliding over the bar, the puppet shake of it. I think. Seriously? Flint deposits half the sugar shaker into her coffee and sprinkles some in mine too. She hugs the mug again like she's sitting outside in the snow.
2: She attacked you? That why you were running? She followed
1: me up the stairs. I think she did. But it wasn't her. It was something else. something. The witch. I don't know, Flint. I'm holding my cup to my chest, too. The steam warm against my cold face. She stares at her coffee, then at her watch. then at me.
2: OK, so you went to a bar that was closed. The barmaid told you she didn't know where her boss was. She tried to get you to leave, maybe, then came up the stairs after you to make sure you were gone to lock the door. That's what I'd do if some weirdo came in asking stupid questions before we opened. Your mom's just tired. You know she's never been the same since your dad passed. So she's losing some of her hair. My mom went gray when she was in her 20s. It happens. And the other stuff, the confusion, the whatever... It's that brain of yours, that anxiety, taking a dead girl and inventing a world around her, a fantasy, a mystery or something. You're seeing things that aren't there because you're... She waves her hand at me. You're writing a story in your head. You want to stop all this? Then forget about Kara or whatever her name was. Focus on something good. She's so
1: confident, I almost believe her. The anxiety is there. A seething ball of terror and panic right in the middle of me, controlling me like a ventriloquist's hand. It's bad. Worse than it's been for ages. But it's not the worst it's ever been. And back in those worst days, I'd seen things too, hadn't I? I'd seen people talking about me when my back was turned, Heard them whispering. I'd seen the overweight imposter in the mirror even though I was stick-thin and starving. I'd seen the tumors in every part of me, the death that was eating me up from the inside. And none of it had been real. None of it. Flint had been there for me every single day back then. She'd even slept on the floor of my bedroom when I'd refused to leave the house. When I'd refused to even go to the bathroom. But when I got better, when I found myself again, she'd told me she wasn't going to do that again. Not ever that's why she's staring at her coffee that's why the back of her chair divides us that's why she didn't hold on to me the way she normally does (sighs) flint's a girl of her word she knows that if i go down that road again then she can't be here to call me back tears are boiling out of me rolling down my cheeks i smudge the heel of my hands against my eyes until there are strobe lights When I take them away, the world is dark. Flint is dark, just a silhouette, until my eyes adjust. She's looking at me now, and she takes my hands in hers. You're going to be
2: okay. Take a breath, a deep one. Tell yourself you're going to be okay. (sighs) I'm going to be okay.
1: I'm going to be okay. Flint stands up, letting go of my hands. I keep hold of hers, though, until she pulls them free. She pushes her chair beneath the table, then opens up her arms again, welcoming me. This time she doesn't let go for a full thirty seconds, squeezing me hard. Squeezing me the way she always used to, until it feels like all the panic has been wrung out of me. It's still there when she lets go. It's always there. But at least I feel like I can breathe again. I gotta run. She leans in and kisses me on the forehead. Sorry.
2: Go home, take a bath, watch some crap TV, or stay here, eat something. I'll talk to you when I can, okay? Okay. She walks off, then turns back. I'm gonna toss that story from Megan, that okay? I don't think you should read it.
1: I nod. It will just be more fuel for the fire. Something pops in my ear, like I'm suddenly underwater and I stick a finger into it, wiggling until I'm right again. Thanks. Thank you, Flint.
2: I love you. Yeah, yeah, I love you too, kiddo.
1: <laughs> I'm technically older than you. You're the kiddo. She fires a middle finger at me as she heads for the bar. My eyes are burning, my sinuses cramped. I'm a mess, so I leave the coffee and head for the restroom. The mirror at Outcast hadn't been lying. I really do look gray. My hair is hanging in clumps, like I haven't washed it for days. My eyes red-rimmed and bloodshot. I'm still wearing last night's clothes, even though I'm sure I changed when I got up. Come on, Tommy, I tell myself. Hold it together. My reflection is nodding, smiling. I run the water and douse my face drag wet fingers through my hair, squeeze the snot from my nose. When I'm done, I swap myself with hand towels, happy to see a little color back in my cheeks. You're going to be okay, I say. Something replies, and it's only now that I look over my shoulder to see that one of the cubicle doors is shut, the end one. The hammer of embarrassment hits me hard. i'm skittering out of the restroom when i realize that whoever's in there is crying it's ever so quiet but now that i've noticed it there's no mistaking those choked breathless sobs muffled like whoever's in there is holding a hand over her mouth hello are you okay the noise continues oblivious i know how you feel i'm having a day like that myself if you need somebody to talk to. More sobs, quieter now. I put my head closer, hold my breath. Hear a whisper. Go away, go away, go away, go away,
2: go away, go away, go
1: away, go away, go I want to help, but she's made it pretty clear she doesn't want to speak to me. I'm not planning to leave breakers just yet. I'll keep an eye on the restroom door and make sure she's alright when she comes out. It gets better, I say with a shrug. Whatever it is, it gets better. It still feels like there's a piece of me stuck in there with her, holding me back. A piece of me I have to fight against to get out of the restroom and back into the restaurant. Annoyingly, somebody's taken my coffee, but Flint's hovering by the bar so I head her way. She's talking to somebody, and the moment I notice that, I also notice that the light fittings above me are swaying from side to side, almost imperceptibly. The air has thickened. I can feel it on my tongue. It tastes like meat. I stop, staring at the floor to stop myself from being carried away by a wave of vertigo. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. It's just anxiety. It's just a panic attack. I should be used to them by now. It's got that same core of terror. You feel your whole body shrivel around it like a spider in a flame. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. But there's that scent again. Not horrible, just raw. But rawness on the edge of turning bad. I breathe in through my nose. Out through my mouth.
2: Hearing Flint's voice in my head. You're going to be okay. Take a breath. A deep one. Tell yourself you're going to be okay.
1: (sighs) I'm going to be okay. Until the nausea passes and I can lift my head. I see Flint. I see myself, too. I know it's me because I'm wearing my clothes. The same ones I've got on now. I've got the same hair. Unbrushed. Greasy. I'm facing away from myself. One elbow propped on the bar. The other hanging limp by my side. I can't see my face, but I know it's me by the way Flint smiles. By the way she places a hand on my shoulder. Squeezes. I can feel it. Even though I'm standing half a room away, I can feel the way her fingers massage my skin. No, I say, breathless. There's a high-pitched whine right in the center of my head. My body doesn't feel like it's mine anymore, like it might collapse into a jumble of pieces if I so much as take a step. But I do, because I can't just stand here. I can't just stand here. I stumble forward, my hip hitting a table. I'm closing in on them now, watching as Flint lifts something from the bar, as she hands it to the other me. A wad of paper sheets, covered in type. You sure? The other me nods. No! I say, louder, clutching at the paper that's in my hand now. I stop again, hold it up, see the story there. A note from Megan. It's poisonous, I know and I toss it away a hurricane of paper running for Flint slamming into another chair and knocking it over Flint turns to me still smiling but there's something wrong with her face as soon as she sees me it starts to drop on one side her mouth limp I can see her eyeball rotate down beneath its drooping lid the other one struggling to find me Flint! I'm screaming now but the other me is turning she's turning to look at me and there's something wrong with her face too because it's just not there there's a hole where it should be an empty eggshell lined with meat a light that isn't quite light that's more dark than light pulses out of it something pushes me back that same magnetic repulsion i don't fight it i turn and run for the doors the day visible just beyond them I don't look back, not even once. I just push through those doors and run. Back into the restaurant. Annoyingly, somebody's taken my coffee, but Flint's hovering by the bar, so I head her way. She's talking to somebody, and the moment I notice that, I also notice that the light fittings above me are swaying from side to side almost imperceptibly. The air has thickened. I can taste it on my tongue. It tastes like meat. I stop, looking at the floor to stop myself from being carried away by a wave of vertigo. I've just done this, I think. But there's a piece of me missing. The great black hole where a chunk of my mind has been carved away. The sweat's pouring off me, and I breathe, breathe, breathe until the nausea passes and I can lift my head. I see Flint. I see myself, too. I know it's me because I'm wearing my clothes. The same ones I've got on now. I've got the same hair. Unbrushed. Greasy. I know it's me because I've just been here. As impossible as it sounds, I've just been here. I say, as Flint lifts something from the bar, as she hands it to the other me. A wad of paper sheets, covered in type. No! I say, stopping dead, lifting the paper that's in my hand now. Seeing the story there, a note from Megan. Flint's looking at me, her face melting off the bone. The other me is looking at me too, even though she can't possibly see anything through the empty nest of her head. I'm screaming. doesn't even sound like me. It sounds alien. It's not a noise that a person could ever make. But I'm making it. Screaming as I run for the door. Again. As I push it open. Again. As I run... Out onto the street. Slipping on the damp sidewalk and landing on my ass. I'm up again as fast as I can backing away from breakers out here my scream is a whimper like I left my voice behind with Flint with her I can still see them through the glass Flint's face is normal again she's giving the other me a hug the other me is hugging her back they're talking the way any friends would talk my hands gesticulating Flint's head tilting back as she laughs they hug again and they're both walking toward the door heading right for me I can't bear to see Flint's face fall again I don't want that thing to turn the scooped out shell of its head in my direction I clutch the papers to my chest and put my head down and walk no idea where I'm going just so long as they're far behind me I'm not even sure how long I walk for but when I next look up it's like half the day has been swallowed the evening moving in I'm soaked through a steady rain falling. My hand is aching, and I realize it's because it's still clenched around the sheaf of papers, pressed against the ridge of my breastbone. I've been holding them there so long, it's like trying to move a dead girl's arm, the rigor mortis holding it in place. My fingers crack as I peel them open, but I don't throw the papers away. I know that if I toss them to the floor, they'll just end up back in my hand anyway. Somewhere that isn't here, somebody will give these pieces of paper to a girl that isn't me a girl without a face and they will be back in my hand again this story wants to be read i'm in a park one i don't know everything's half dead more brown than green but there are families here dog walkers too they're all giving me a wide berth because i'm out here without a jacket And judging by the way my face aches, too, I've been grinning like a corpse all the way here. There's a bench across the green, and I walk to it, hating the way my clothes cling to me, the way they feel like a burial shroud. I'm shivering so hard I can barely uncrease the paper, and when I do, I see that the ink has run, although not so much that I can't read it. I don't read it, though. The thought of it makes me feel sick, makes the acid claw up my throat, I spit, scaring another dog walker away from the bench. The note's getting wetter by the second, so I glance over it. It's written in small, blue handwriting on a sheet of yellow paper, printed pink hearts clustered in the top right corner.
4: Tell me who's not a boy. I have no idea why I'm giving this to you. I feel like I should burn it after what happened to Kara. I feel like I should burn all of it. But the cops took most of it, so there's not much I can do about that. But Kara gave me this and told me to keep it safe. Told me not to let anyone read it. She told me not to read it, too. And I haven't because I saw what it did to her. I think she gave stories to other people, too. Tanner, for sure. Rambling, sorry. I don't know what Kara was into before she died, but this is part of it, and I don't want it anymore. Read it, shred it, fucking roll a joint with it and smoke it, I don't care. She called it a game, but it's not a game. Kara's gone. Tanner's gone. I don't want any part of it, and I don't want to see you again. Do you understand? Sorry, Megan.
1: I read it again, then scrunch it up and put it in my pocket. I count five pages of story, printed from a website. I know which one because the format and the font are the same as always. Three Dead Things, added by Unknown on 1-1-2001. It's the story that was missing when I was looking through Kara's creepy.com page, the one she commented on. I can't even remember what the comment was, or if I even read it. My eyes take in the first line without my permission.
3: It was my brother Frank who took me to see the three dead things.
1: And I look away because I just don't want to know what happens next. The air still carries that same sweet stench of overripe meat, like it's followed me here. I look at the sky, at the sunlight trying to break through the clouds. It's too bright, but I keep looking until it feels like there are fingers against my eyeballs. I don't wanna stop because I feel like if I read this story, I'll never see daylight again. But this story wants to be read. It wants me to read it. So I give it what it wants.
3: It was my brother Frank who took me to see the three dead things. I found them last night, he told me as we walked through the woods behind our farm. Daniel told me they was there, and he was right. Daniel, Frank's friend from school... The same guy who told Frank that aliens built the pyramids and that dogs can read your thoughts. Nothing Daniel said was ever true. But Frank believed all of it. Every word of it. He's 12 too. Two years older than me. Old enough to know better. Daniel says you can't go looking for them. Daniel says you only find them when you're lost. But I remember... He taps his head, his grin as bright as the sun through the tops of the trees. I made a map. in my head. But as usual, Frank's head didn't work right. We walked for an hour before he admitted he didn't know where we were, and that the three dead things weren't where he thought they'd been the day before. And almost as soon as he admitted it, I saw one of them staring at me. I got a mighty jolt of my heart for sure. "'cause I could have sworn I saw it move, "'like it was rolling into position behind a yew tree, peeking at me through the leaves. "'But when we got closer, "'Frank grinning even harder now, "'I saw that it couldn't have moved "'because it was made of wood, "'rooted in place by decades of undergrowth. "'It was a statue, "'twice as tall as me and shaped like a bird.' Frank told me that Daniel told him it was a skylark, but I wouldn't know. It was standing upright, its eyes staring into the forest, its beak covered up by its wings, which were folded over the bottom of its face. It must have been standing there for close to forever, because its wooden body was warped and green with lichen. But when Frank pointed to the bottom of the statue, I could still see the door there in the weeds two foot square with a little wooden latch they've all come frank said nodding at something over my shoulder i think i've stood on an ant's nest because my skin itches all over when i turn i see two other statues crowding around us facing inward as old as the first and rooted to the ground like trees they're so close i don't know how i didn't see them to start with and I'm not lying when I say there's something kicking in my gut. Something telling me that this part of the forest is too old, too dead for me to be here. The second statue is a rabbit. Maybe a hare because the ears are longer. Its paws stuffed into them. Its eyes seem somehow full of grief. Whoever made this thing has hacked lines into them, into its brow. Its mouth is open, but they look more like horses' teeth than rabbit ones. It too has a little door at the base of it, shut tight. I'm not sure what the final statue is supposed to be. It has the body of a sheep, maybe, sitting upright on its haunches. But its hands are human and enormous, big enough to curl over the whole top half of its head like it's Trying to pull off its own scalp. I can't see its eyes. And its mouth is just a line half visible beneath its thin wrists. Two short, stubby horns jut out over its ears. This, too, had a door. And this door was open. Just a crack, mind you. I wanted to leave. There's some places that you know right away are wrong. There are places where bad things have happened, places that want bad things to happen again. I felt those statues watching us, and it wasn't an illusion. They knew we were there. They were so old, so still, and they knew we were there. I asked Frank if we could leave, but he shook his head. He had that look on his face, the one where he was going to hurt me. Not physically, he would never have done that, but he wanted to play a trick. That's what big brothers do. I know, and Frank's tricks were almost always harmless. But it wasn't like I'd be able to find my way back by myself, and the night was stirring, the sun falling fast. Daniel says there are two dead girls beneath the ground here, Frank said relishing it they've been here a long long time and they are so lonely i begged him to stop i was even crying now but tears are like a red rag to brothers they were murdered by their mother he went on she harvested them and left the rest here for the crows their father driven mad by grief built three statues to remember them The first for his oldest daughter, who he called his little Leveret. He pointed to the hare. She died last, Daniel says, and she had to watch his sister pass first. The younger daughter was as thin and carefree as a bird, so he gave her this statue. I thought I heard the wood crack, like a swaying tree, and I pleaded with Frank, trying to pull him back to the path but he was so much bigger than me, so much stronger. Daniel says the father hunted down his wife and killed her to avenge his daughters. He brought her here and buried her beneath the third statue so that she would forever have to live with the horror of what she did. Another crack of wood and I thought maybe one of the fingers of the third statue had moved because wasn't that the corner of an eye I saw now between them? I backed away, ready to escape by myself, but Frank grabbed my arm and held me. Don't you want to know about the doors? He said, his eyes full of glee. I nod, even though I don't want to know about the doors. I don't even want to look at the doors. Daniel says the father left the doors there because he knew that he would always have a way to speak with his children. And he left a door in his wife's so that she would never be able to rest. I noticed how quiet the woods were. No birds singing. No wind in the branches. Just another of those bone-shaking cracks. And I swore I could see more of the third statue's eye now through its fingers. Dark and wet. Something about the story doesn't make sense. Because if the door doesn't let the wife rest, then surely those little girls can't rest either. Daniel says that if you're brave enough to go inside, you'll see the dead, Frank said. And as soon as he said this, the reality of what was about to happen exploded in my skull, so bright I couldn't see. And they'll tell you a secret. No, was all I could say. But Frank was hauling me to the first statue, the bird. Inside the Skylark, you will meet the first daughter, he said, and she will ask you a question, but you must not reply. I was hysterical now. I was hitting him with my fists. Inside the hair, you will hear the second daughter whisper to you, but you must not listen. We were so close, and the statues seemed closer still, like they were herding us in. And inside that one the bad one. The mother will lie down beside you, but you must not look at her. If you do all these things, then you will learn something incredible." I lashed out again, and my fist connected with his lip. He let go, swearing, and I fell scuttling backwards. I was scared, because I'd never hurt Frank before, and I didn't know what he would do to punish me. He was mad spitting blood from the wound I had opened up on his mouth. But he did not move to hit me back. Fine, he said. Coward. You stay right there and watch. And when they tell me their secret, I won't let you know. I won't. Daniel says he did it, and the secret blew his mind. I'm gonna know it too, and you won't. I called his name. I asked him to come home with me to leave the statues alone, but he had a look in his eye I'd never really seen before. His head had always been a little bit broken, but this was something new. He didn't even look like my brother anymore, as he gently lifted the latch and the first door opened. I don't think I've ever seen darkness like that. It was an impossible kind of darkness. It seemed to bleed out of that door and embrace him. It was almost too big to get inside, but somehow he managed it. I hate myself because I just watched it happen. I just let him shuffle his body through the dirt until all that was left was the soles of his sneakers. Then they too vanished into the shadows. I don't know how long I waited. It might have been minutes, maybe even an hour. By the time I gathered the strength to move, it was almost dark, and Frank was still inside the statue. He did not respond to my calls, and when I plunged my arm inside the door, I could not feel him at all, even though there was barely enough room for him to lie down inside of it. I can't describe the fear I felt right then. Part of me knew that Frank was joking, that he was waiting in there for me to start screaming. Then he would burst out and howl at me the way he always did. But part of me knew, too, that I was never going to see my brother again. Part of me knew that the girl inside had asked him a question, and the idiot had answered her. That he'd sunk down into the leaves, into the moss, into a little nest of twigs and bones. And I still did it. I still got down on my knees next to that little door and began to crawl inside. He was my brother, you see. And I loved him. I loved him enough to crawl into this dead thing and call his name. It was like a coffin no space to do anything other than push my face and chest to the dirt and wiggle forward i could smell forest mulch dirt rotting wood and the damp crept into my clothes into my bones it was hard to breathe but i still worked up enough courage to call frank's name reaching out for him none of the day came in with me and i could not even turn my head to see if the door was still open. I just inched my way forward, surely too far. Surely far enough to have emerged from the back of the statue. Except it kept going and going, the space growing smaller and smaller and smaller. I had to stop or lose my mind, and it was only when I lay there gasping, no air for me to breathe, that... I heard a voice It came from right beside me, and I became aware of a shape in the dark, soft and cold. It pressed into me, and I would have screamed if I could remember how. A pair of lips brushed against my ear, and I heard the same whisper once again. Do you want to know where he went? My mouth was open to answer, but I remembered Frank's words. I clamped my lips shut while that corpse cold body folded itself around me, while stiff fingers felt my face, while it breathed its grave stench into me. Do you want to know where he went? It asked the same question a dozen times, but each time I stayed still, stayed quiet until I felt the shape of her roll away. I escaped that statue with such violence that I was bleeding in three or four places. I slammed the door shut and clicked the latch and ran from the clearing. I only looked back once to see all three statues facing me, all of them watching me go. Two through wide, sad eyes, the third through the open fingers of its hands. I know you will hate me for what I did. I hate myself. God only knows it. I wish I had had the courage to search for him in the other two statues. Because maybe that's the secret I would have learned. My mother and father hate me too. Because even though I've never spoken a word of what happened to anybody, they sense it. They see the giant holes in between my words. They feel the abyss of unspeakable truth there, in the space between the lies. They know that Frank did not run away, that he did not fall into an old mine, that he wasn't bundled into a white panel van. They know something far worse happened to him, and they know I will never tell them what it is. They know that they will die not knowing. What happened to their son? Maybe you will forgive me a little if I told you I did go back. I searched for those statues for weeks. Armed with a flashlight. And with Frank's instructions. But I never found them. I never found him. And I will pay for my crime for the rest of my life. Because even though I never found Frank... He found me, he finds me, every night when I close my eyes. I wake up inside the moldering coffin of my bed sheets, his cold body pressed against mine, his lips breathing the same hoarse words right into my ear, over and over and over until dawn breaks. Do you know where I am? Do you know where I am? Do you know where I am? I never answer. I never answer him.
1: The sickness is worse than ever, like something's moving down there. I crumple the story into a ball, drop it on the bench next to me. Even though I'm outside, even though I can feel the wind on my face, there's no air here. I'm trapped inside a wooden coffin, and I push up, pacing, gulping. It's too much, and I double over, my stomach contracting like a fist. A jet of bile streams out of me, splashing against the bench, on the floor. I heave again, emptying myself, but even when there's nothing left to get out, I'm still gagging something caught in my throat something rubbing against my tonsils i hawk it up coughing managing to pinch it with my fingers then i'm pulling out a lank string of dark hair so long i have to use both hands working them over and over each other until the end of it comes free it's wrapped around something small and meaty a nubbin of flesh whose nail is still attached My groan is almost subsonic, and it comes from the deepest part of me. I toss the hair onto the bench, onto the sodden story, and it curls and writhes like a worm, finally falling still. The sobs hit me by surprise, as powerful as the sickness. They pour out of me, tears burning my eyes. I put my hand to my mouth to try to hold them in, but it's like trying to stop the tide. I have to wait for them to pass, for them to drain out of me. And when they do, I'm paper thin. I feel like my head has been scooped out. My body, too. A single gust of wind will carry me into the evening. What is happening? What is happening to me? The hair does not answer. The story does not answer. I don't even understand why Megan gave it to me. Why she wanted to be rid of it so bad, she went home for it in the middle of a party. It wants to be read. I start walking, stuffing the story and the note into my pocket so I don't have to watch them sprout legs and scuttle after me, so they don't tread on my shadow all the way home.
0: This Book Will Kill You Written by Alexander Gordon Smith Adapted for audio by Jessica McAvoy Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone This Book Will Kill You The Fifth Part Starred Jessica McAvoy as Tommy Bright Kristen DiMercurio as Flint Atticus Jackson as The Unknown Author, Ellie Hirschman as Rowan, Nicole Goodnight as The Crying Girl, and Sarah Thomas as Megan. Join us next week for This Book Will Kill You, the sixth Art. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc., All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the expressed written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc. The copyright for This Book Will Kill You is held by Alexander Gordon-Smith.